Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. You have that option. So turn with me to, in the New Testament, we're going to the book of Luke, which is one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John is the Gospel after that. We're going to go to chapter 9, and there's a few verses here. This is actually, if you were here last week, y'all remember I said you have to come back next week to hear the rest of this message? Uh, well, that's today, so that's what we're doing. I'm finishing a message that I started last week. The title of that message was, It's a Cross Culture. It's a Cross Culture. Turn to somebody next to you and say, hey, it's a cross culture. All right, good. Getting y'all talking to each other. That's a good thing. Thank you. All right, verse, starting in verse 22 of chapter 9, Jesus is, he's with his disciples, his kind of his close-knit group of, of people, and then he also, as was common for Jesus when he was out in public, there was a huge crowd following him uh, for, for various reasons. There was crowds that followed him because they wanted to see the freak show. They wanted to see all the miracles and the signs and the wonders. There were people that were following him in the crowd because they were hoping that maybe Jesus would see them and heal them. There were those that were following that did have a, a legitimate interest in wanting to have a relationship with Jesus. And, and then there were those in the crowd that followed because they were looking for things to, for Jesus to do that they could criticize or they could say he's doing wrong. And, uh, and so, but he always had a crowd. And in verse 22, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and for the very first time he shares this news with him. He says, the son of man, speaking of himself, must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And in verse 23, it says, then the crowd, then he said to the crowd, you can almost kind of picture him, he's talking to his guys and then he just kind of turns and speaks to the whole crowd and he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? And, uh, and this was, you know, if you're, if you're in the context of this moment, this was an intense, uh, an intense statement that Jesus was making. And uh, typically, you know, it was kind of a, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're a big leader, you know, you want the crowd, right? You want to attract a crowd. And that's because it's, you know, their status connected to it. Or it makes you, maybe it makes you look more successful when you got a, a big crowd. But Jesus didn't want crowd. He wanted followers. He wanted people that he could not just have following him around, but people that he wanted intimate relationship with. That's what he had with his disciples, and that was actually the whole purpose and why he came is because God desires not to have a religion with you and me. God desires to have a relationship with you and me, and not long distance either. He wants one of those personal, up close, I'm with you every day type of relationships, and for that to happen, Jesus would have to come and do what he did and go to the cross and die for the, to be the sacrifice of the sins of all humanity and then rise from the dead so that in that process he would defeat hell in the grave and become the savior for all humanity. And so that was all part of his plan. As Jesus is going around, he's, all these things are happening, miracles and signs and wonders, and, and he's feeding, you know, like, you know, 5,000 people with a little bit of bread and some fish, and, and people are like, man, i got to check this thing out. But you also have to realize that it was popular in that culture to be a follower or a recognized follower of a religious leader. 
It, it was trendy, like it was, it was the thing to do. It wasn't just a, a church thing because we have to understand that in this context, this is, this is Israel, uh, these are Jews, this is a, a very religious culture, a very religious environment. And so uh, it, it'd almost be the, th- the same thing as, as having like a prestigious internship with one of the, t- the biggest tech companies in the world or something like that. If, if you can try to make a comparison from Bible times to now, be like, oh yeah, you know, I've got, I've got this, uh, it's a paid internship at Google. Oh wow, okay, okay. You know, or, you know, I'm, I've been, uh, you know, they, they asked me to come and, and help them out at Apple. So I, that's, I'm just here to serve. That's what I'm doing. You know, that's kind of what was going on in that culture. Only the best of the best were invited or accepted to be disciples of a religious leader. And so it was funny because they realized that Jesus was not just taking the best of the best. They knew this because when they looked at his disciples, they saw fishermen, they saw all these different trades workers, they even saw a tax collector, which would have been an educated person, but somebody that everyone hated. So they're like, hey, if these guys can get in with Jesus, I probably got a chance. And so let's start following them around and see what can happen. And, uh, and so Jesus all of a sudden has his crowd and he addresses the crowd. And he's like, hey, I'm opening up a brand new discipleship internship, and, uh, but here's how you can be a part of my program. This is all you have to do is you have to turn from your way of doing things, you have to take up your cross daily, and then you can follow me. And so for us, maybe in, a, in an American context, when we hear the word cross, we just think of oh, Easter, like, like a, we metaphorically have to like pick up something and you know, okay, I, I kinda got it. But you have to understand that the cross, Israel at this time was an occupied nation. They were under the occupation of the Roman Empire. And quite frequently, they would see demonstrations of the Roman Empire uh, kind of flexing their muscle by executing people that either did speak out against the Roman government or they thought may have be, be a part of something that would try to overthrow. And so crucifixion, although it's not something that's really pretty to talk about, uh, crucifixion was something that that culture would have been very, very familiar with because the Roman government, that was one of their primary means of public execution. And I think I mentioned it last week, but there was this one uh, historian who was a Greek historian, and he says that it was the Persians, if you were to do, we're doing a little history lesson here, is that okay? It was the Persians that invented crucifixion, but he goes on to say it's the Romans that perfected it. Which, I mean, how, how about having that on your, on your resume? Yeah, what did you, well, we perfected crucifixion. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? Anyway, so, but, so in our context, that would be the same thing as Jesus saying, all right, if you want to follow me, uh, you must... Uh, turn from every, every way that you're used to doing your way. You must take up your electric chair, take up your lethal injection, and then you can follow me. Now, if somebody had said that to you, you would look at them like they were crazy because nobody talks like that. Like, why would you, that's stupid. Why would you talk like that? The same context applied when Jesus is saying to this crowd here, you must take up your cross because what the Romans would do is when they were going to execute somebody and they even tried to do it to Jesus, but because he was so badly beaten, he didn't even have the physical strength to carry his cross. And so they pulled a guy out of the crowd to carry Jesus's cross. But when you were gonna be executed, you would literally have to carry your own cross to the place where you were gonna be executed. Just a little, little extra intimidation for those who were watching. And so, but it, our, our message today is it's continuation from last week. It is a cross culture. And so we've been talking about living my best life, and it's not just some, some cliche thing to be like, you know, to, to, to work really hard or, or hustle even harder or go out there and just build up your thing and, and God wants to bless it because too often we have interpreted the blessing of God as being, I know what I wanna do, now God, I just need you to bless it. 
God, I, I've got, no, I, I know it's good. I know, you have, I know you say you have plans for my life, but I've already got that figured out. All I need you to do is to wave your magic wand over what I wanna do, and we're gonna be good to go. And Jesus was saying, that's not how this works. No, no, it's good, Jesus. No, I know, like, for most people, they, they're pretty messed up, but I got my stuff together. So all you got, so I'm good. Just bless what I'm doing, and I'm gonna be good to go. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't even get it. You, you think you've got stuff figured out, even, even for the best of us, which I don't even know how to categorize that because we're not. But like even for the, for the best of us, like we've got business plans. Come on, we've got, we've got, we've got goals. We've got five-year and 10-year plans. We don't, we don't need to get it messed up by, by throwing that away and saying, okay, Jesus, maybe, maybe your plan is better than what I have. And Jesus is saying, hey, that's, that's, isn't that cute? That's so cute that you have a plan. Oh, that's, oh look at you. You've got goals, okay. Oh, you've even, oh, so you've even gone to school for that. Oh, that's awesome, man. Congratulations. So then Jesus says, all right, this is what I want you to do with your plan. And he's smiling the whole time. This is how I visualize it. He goes, go ahead. Can, can I see that? All right, I'm going to take it. And can, okay, I'm just going to do this real quick. And all right. All right, so are you ready? And we're like, you just, what, why'd you do that? You don't, have, you don't know how hard I worked on that. And I think, uh, I think we miss the picture sometimes that, even the best plans that we think we have for ourselves fail in comparison to what God wants to do in our life. And that doesn't mean, uh, if you've been around the church world, I've seen this interpreted many different ways, and one popular one is that means that God just wants you to, he wants you to quit your job and sell everything and just go stand on the street corner and yell about Jesus. Please don't do that. <laughs> Please, pretty please don't do that because God needs lawyers. God needs teachers. God needs business leaders. God needs construction workers. God needs, God help us, God needs politicians. Well, y'all got, oh yeah. I was, I was wondering, I knew I was gonna say that. I was just wondering what, but we got quite a few amens out of that one. But here's the thing. What good is it gonna do if we all quit our jobs and like God's called us all to be pastors? No, no, he hasn't. Please, please do us all a favor. That's not what we're trying to do here. God's called you to be who he created you to be, where he's placed you to be, where he's placed you to be. You're gonna have the greatest influence in the grace that God has put on you. And so maybe that is where you are, and maybe it's not, and that's okay because there's a journey of following Jesus. And, and sometimes we figure out things faster than others, and sometimes God shows us things faster than others. But the whole thing about living your best life, it's not possible unless you give Jesus your whole life. Not, not some of it. Not, not, you know, we live in a consumer-driven culture that means we want to sample everything before we commit to anything. To the point where if, you, if you've been around long enough in the whole cell phone world, now the business plan for cell phone companies is, hey, we won't, no contract, hey, we won't even make you commit to nothing. <laughs> like businesses have caught on to our culture's dysfunction for commitment and turned that into business plan. Be like, hey, over there, they want you to sign a 50-year deal and they want you to dedicate your great-grandchildren to your company. Over here, all, you don't even have to, you don't have to show up. You know, I mean, may, if you want to, but if you don't, but if you want this phone, if you don't, I mean, it's free. It's free for now. But, you know, it's, you know, no contract. And that, that, but that's the world in which we live. You know what's unfortunate? Because there, there are great things about a, a free society where we can do business and people can try stuff. And, and we can go out there and, like, if, you want, if you're good at baking cookies and you can get a good business plan, guess what? You can have a job baking cookies and making a lot of people happy. Until the end of the year and you start thinking about New Year's Eve and i got to lose some weight. But... When a lot of that begins to trickle into and translate into the kingdom of God. And there's a different culture in the kingdom of God. 
It's not even different. It's opposite from the culture that exists in our world. There's a, there's a world culture and there's a kingdom culture. And God's way of doing things is literally upside down different from everything else in our world. He ha- he goes, Jesus would go on and say things like, hey, if you want to be the greatest, then you need to be the least. If you want to be a leader, then you need to learn how to serve. If you want to receive, well, then you need to start to give. Like all these things that are completely backwards, you're like, that doesn't even make sense. Like if I want to be on top, then that means it's time for me to step on people's heads because that's how I get there. And Jesus is like, doesn't work that way. You may be able to attain some level of success in our world, but when it all comes to an end, you may have gained the whole world, but you may have lost everything that you fought for in the end, even your very soul. So Jesus is talking to this crowd, and he's just telling them, he's like, you've heard it one way, you've seen it one way, I'm actually trying to tell you the complete opposite way. Because there's gonna be something in your life and significant things in your life that you're gonna have to die to if you wanna actually become what I created you to become. You can't be the man of God that God created you to be when you continue to live in a way that opposes how God created you to be. You can't be the woman of God that he created you to be with a voice and with boldness and with courageousness when you continue to operate in a life that's opposite of how God created you to be. We can fight it, but eventually we get to the point where we realize everything that I've been doing, everything that I've been working for, everything I've been hustling for, everything that I've been you know, scratching and clawing for, it's not working out, or at least maybe it is, but I don't, I don't feel as fulfilled as I thought I would be when I got to this point. The money's there, uh, the status is there, the recognition is there, but why do I still feel completely empty on the inside? Jesus would say, that's because you don't even understand that the plans that I have for you are so much bigger so much bigger than where you're at right now. And we always try to equate things to, to a tangible thing. Like, so you mean that means I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be, you know, six figures instead of, instead of this, or, you know, my house is gonna be this many square foot instead of this, and we, that's, that's our flaw. We always try to take what God wants to do in us, and we try to put a dollar sign next to it and try to equate God's greatness and blessing and plan for our life uh, equal to the status that we have in our culture. You know, yeah, God does wanna bless you. God doesn't, there's principles in the Bible that if you follow them when it comes to, to giving and stewardship and, and generosity and finances and relationship, that if you follow the principles of God, you cannot fail. You will be blessed beyond anything that you could even imagine, but it's not even about that. So last week, the, the first thing I gave you last week is that uh, when it comes to having that cross culture in your life, when it comes to living your best life, you gotta do everything wholeheartedly for Jesus, not halfway. Jesus doesn't have halfway followers. God's blessing doesn't exist in the people that are doing things halfway because when you only go halfway, that means that you're basically telling God, and none of us I don't think would ever say this to his face and maybe not even have this conscious thought, but you don't give yourself to what you don't fully trust. You just don't. There are marriages that struggle, not because you didn't say I do at the altar, but because of whatever might be in your background or, your, or, your, or kind of the baggage of your life that you brought into your marriage that you didn't, you didn't deal with before you got married, now you're starting to impose those things onto your spouse and, and you love them and you've, you've said, I'm giving my whole, my whole life to you, but you don't fully trust them, therefore you don't give your whole self to them. And over time, that can erode a relationship. First, we have to give up our own way. Was, this was the the point that I got to last week. First, we have to give up our own way. And it takes trust. It takes trust. 
We gotta be able, I mean, we can't, we can't be everything that God created us to be without giving everything over to God and say, hey, I'm in your hands and I'm ready to be who you've created me to be. First, we have to get rid of our own way. Number two, then, and secondly, we take up our cross. It starts with one, I'm gonna give up my own way. Now I can take up my cross. Now I can take up my cross. See, see here's the deal. Catch that. <clears throat> he caught it, which, thank you, because that was good. Actually, can I have that back? Because he just, he, he just saved you. That was, that was a dual purpose there. My throat was a little off there. Did you notice that? I was like, thank you, Griffin, for doing that. So he caught that. Now, here's the deal. If his hands were full with something else, he wouldn't have been able to catch what I threw at him. We continually fill our hands with what we're trying to do or maybe hanging on to the baggage that God's already delivered us from. He's already healed us from. We've already been forgiven of this, but we keep picking it back up and holding it in our hands and we can't carry what God wants to give us if our hands are constantly filled with other things. It's just not possible. And so when he talks about taking up your cross, I can't take up my cross if my hands are filled with something else. And yes, the cross does paint a picture of sacrifice. The cross, what Jesus did on the cross is something that, here's the deal, none of us will ever have to do what Jesus did because he was the only one that could actually do it. So your cross actually represents your calling. It represents your purpose. It represents your destiny. And we're so caught up in our own culture of trying to build what we think is the right thing to build that when God wants to throw our way, the very thing that he created us for, we don't catch it, we don't see it, we can't carry it because our hands are filled. Part of taking up our cross is unloading our hands and unloading our spirit of what's been in there in the beginning so that there's room to be able to do and to be what God created us to be. It's a, it's a huge paradigm shift. I realize I don't even share this this morning with, with levity or even, you know, like it's not that big of a deal. You know, Jesus went on to tell his disciples and those that would follow him that, listen, if the world hated me, what do you think they're gonna do to you? If you look at the 12 original disciples, one of them committed suicide because he betrayed Jesus and couldn't stand it. The other 11 were, well, I'll put it this way, 10 of the rest of the 11 were martyred because of their following Jesus. One of them they tried to kill, but he just wouldn't die. And that was John. They literally, he, they they put him on the island of Patmos. They tried to boil him alive in oil. For whatever reason, God miraculously protected him. He would not die. And so they're fine. We're just gonna leave your butt on this island so that you can rot here. He ends up writing the book of Revelation. So there's always going to be a cost to following Jesus. You know, we do, we do live in a day and age in America where there's probably a great chance you won't face the type of persecution that the early church faced. But the reality is, is that when you live according to one culture or, or a kingdom culture's uh, idea of life, there is a culture that's opposed to that and they will not necessarily like because they don't see, they don't understand, they don't identify, they don't agree. And so it puts you uh, at, at odds with them. And from the world culture, it creates an enemy between you and them. And Jesus actually begins to speak into that because he says, hey, this is what you should do with your enemies. And Jesus should know because he had, he had many of them. He goes, if you do have enemies, people that hate you, people that may, in his context, want to kill you, people that may persecute you, this is what you should do. And everyone's leaning in because, like, yeah, he's got something good. He's God, so I'm probably going to get permission to, like, one of these guys. And he's like, you should love them. Oh, and the ones that actually take the step to start persecuting you, you should just pray for them. 
Can you imagine how disappointed people were? They were literally like, oh, are you for real? You mean that guy that did that thing that multiple times? Yeah, definitely him. You know, one of Jesus' disciples was actually a religious zealot. He would have been a part of the faction within the, within the Hebrew culture that was underground trying to bring up an actual military revolt against the Roman Empire. His name was Simon. And they actually called him Simon the Zealot. They knew who he was. So whenever Jesus was like, hey, this is what you should do to your enemies, he was probably like, yeah, yeah. He's like, no, Jesus, I got ideas. No, just sit down. Stop it. We know what you're gonna say, be quiet. He goes, love them and pray for those that are actually persecuting you. You know, and that, again, back to that culture thing, we're learning history today, I guess. So um, they, the, the way that it was set up is that the, the Roman centurions, the, the military personnel of the Roman uh, Empire, they could very easily, if they were, if they were on a journey somewhere, they had the, the, law to, the lawful right to be able to, to pull in a Jew and say, hey, you're gonna carry my stuff. And no matter what you were doing, who you were, by law, you had to carry their stuff. Uh, I think technically it was by, by law is one mile. You were by law required to carry their stuff one mile. Jesus says, hey, they ask you to carry it one mile, carry it two. And these are guys that literally, it wasn't a metaphor. They literally had the ability if they thought that you were doing something that was wrong or something they could, they could take out a sword and they could take your life. He goes, oh, and if, and if somebody asks for your, for your coat, go ahead and give them your shirt too. It's all part of this counterculture that's just so, so backwards and so opposite. And so when it's hard to kind of put into context the sacrifice that the early church had to, had to endure to follow Jesus when we look at our American culture, because it's not even, it doesn't even remotely look the same. There are places in our world where people who are saying, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, still are in great danger of their life. And many, every single year, are martyred every single year because of their faith. And we don't see that. And I don't know, I pray that we never do. But at the same time, I know that when there's that kind of pressure put on God's people, historically what we are told is that revival usually breaks out. Because you cannot stop what God's trying to do. You cannot put out a fire that God has started. You cannot do away with something that God says it's going to be. Here's the cool thing. What we can do is we can, we can stoke the fires that God puts into place. We can see built and expanded the things that God has breathed on because when we put ourselves wholeheartedly into what God is doing, it begins to multiply the kingdom of God. And here's the cool thing. When the kingdom of God multiplies, it's not religion that multiplies. It's those that were far from God begin to come to know who God is. And so, you know, revival or, or an outbreak of God doing something great in our, in our families and in our city should never be something that alienates church from culture. It should be something where the church begins to invade our culture, bringing the love and the grace of God into everyday life. So revival doesn't always have to, isn't always supposed to be a church service. Revival should be what you and I are doing to impact our culture that we already exist in. You have the ability to encourage people at your work. You, have, you don't, may not have all the answers, and that's okay, but you have the ability to pray for people and see them healed. You don't have to be some special, you know, uh, certified, you know, holy person. Wow, I really was struggling to come up with words there for a second. All you have to do is say, man, I, just, I love Jesus, and I know he loves you. Can I pray for you? You know, it's like, you don't have to quote scripture to him. God, just, just heal and fill in the blank. God, give them peace with what's going on in their life. God, help their marriage. God, their, their heart's broken. God, would you be there for them? You'd be blown away with what can happen in our city right now if every single one of us would embrace the fact that God's called us to do something great. None of that was on my notes. <laughs> Lastly, <laughs> follow Jesus. 
Just follow Jesus. You know, there's so much pressure taken off of your shoulders when there's something for you to follow. You're like, where do I go? Just follow him. I don't, what do I do in this situation? Oh, that's what, don't worry about it. Just follow him. It's like if you're, if you're new, you know, you're new, like your first day at a job and you've got somebody that's there training you, and that's, that's always comforting because you're like, what do I do next? And you're like, oh, just come over here, I'll show you. And that's what it's like to follow Jesus. That's why, that's why it is so crucial for everybody who would say, you know what, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, or at the very least, I don't know if I'm there yet, but I'm, I'm trying to figure some of this stuff out. Get yourself a Bible. Download the YouVersion Bible app because if you begin, even if you didn't know where to start, I would say just look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just every day, take a few minutes to read read one chapter or read until you just feel like I need to be done reading. I, I don't, I'm not understanding what I'm reading. But just read because when you see Jesus walk and when you see him talk and when you see him love and you see the way that he, he doesn't cast out those that would typically be far from him, he brings them in. And it was actually the opposite. The ones who acted like they had all their crap together were the ones that he was literally poking them in the chest and starting arguments because he wanted them to know, hey, stop acting so arrogant. You think you've got it figured out, but you don't know anything. You've got all the outside stuff figured out, but your inside is rotting. But it was the woman caught in adultery. It was the, it was the, the, the woman who had five husbands, been, husbands that didn't work out and she's living with the man and, and that's not working out. And, and Jesus is called, it's the tax collector who's stealing from everybody. It was those guys and those ladies that Jesus said, hey, come here, come here, let me love on you. Let me let you know there's a better way. Hey, I love you. I didn't come to bring condemnation. I came to bring forgiveness. I came to introduce a new life to you. Follow Jesus. That last verse from what we read originally says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. There's, some, there's, there's trust that has to be built. And trust in God takes faith. Faith is, faith is believing in what you can't see, which makes you like, it's, uh, you ever seen Indiana Jones? And there's like this one scene where like he has to like, there's no bridge, but he has to get to the other side and, and, uh, but it actually is a bridge, but you know, you can't see it. You know, it's kind of built that way, you can't see it. And so he, I just, that scene where he's taking that first step onto this invisible bridge, y'all remember that? And, uh, and there is a bridge, it turns out to be. Now he did cheat because then he takes some sand and he throws it out there. He's like, come on man, just walk on the bridge. But, uh, but that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to take that first step of saying, Jesus, I trust you, not just like in the moment, but I trust you with my life. And if you're anything like me, that's not a one-time, that's not a one-time statement. And it's like, Jesus, I trust you with my life. Like 10 minutes later, ooh. Okay, start over. Jesus, I trust you with my life, you know. Next day, I don't know if I, okay, Jesus, I trust you with my life. And that's why it says take up your cross daily because it's not a switch that you flip. It's not something that you just throw on your back or throw in your backpack and now you're just, I'm just carrying my cross back here following Jesus. It doesn't work that way. That's why it says do it daily because every 24 hours that go by, is another day that you have a moment to choose whether you're gonna trust him, choose whether you're gonna continue to lean into that relationship with him, choose whether you're gonna deepen yourself in understanding who he is, choose to come back to church. I went to church, yeah, you should be in church all the time. Well, no, I went, I'm good. In, in, in my world, they, they, they uh, have this one term that's called C&E Christians. You ever heard that before? And, uh, and don't, don't take this the wrong way, C&E, like Christmas and Easter. 
They're the Christians that they come in, they punch their card on Christmas and Easter. And actually, I love them because on those days, it makes me, makes me want to work all the harder to, to just like kind of grab hold of them and realize there's something more. And, and uh, typically, you got to understand this, y'all. It is those that are farthest from God that when they have a revelation of who he is, have the most closeness with God. Because they realize, no, they're like, yeah, you've been in church your whole life and you take it for granted and you come when you want, you don't come when you want. It's not really that big of a deal for you because you think, you're, you think you've had it all for your life, but you don't understand. I used to be over here, I was lost and now I'm found. You have no idea, I was completely blind and now I can see. So I don't wanna, I wanna be hanging on to his bottom leg like I'm one of those kids being dragged around. That's how close I wanna be to Jesus every single day. Why? Because I know what he's done for me. I'm gonna stop right there. That's a good place to stop. Babe, you wanna hop on? Hop on the keys for me. Help me set the mood. There's no part three. No part three. That was part part two and a half. I think that I think we're good. I just love the fact that that Jesus, um, his goal was never to thin out his followers. He just wanted them to be all in. He just wanted them to understand, like. I don't want some of the crowd to go away. I just want all the crowd to become more more personal. And so his goal was never to have just a small group of people that that he could be close with. That's why the Bible tells us that uh, it's God's desire that, that none should perish. None. That's the heart of God. God's desire is that every man and woman would be able to come into relationship with him. And, and when we say relationship, we, we need to understand that in the context of God that that means an intimate, one-on-one, personal connection with God. And it's a big deal. It matters to God so much. God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at ConvoChurch. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.